Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible Berry Chantilly cake and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even before the Supreme Court ruled to overturn Roe v. Wade, it was pretty clear where the national abortion battle was headed next. For those intent on ending abortions in parts of the United States, the biggest barrier may now not be politics, but pills. This is a CNN piece from back in early June, when it was all but certain what the justices were about to do, but totally uncertain when or how they'd do it. Uh, People are really, really scared of what's going to happen. That's why some abortion rights supporters, such as Women on Waves, based in the Netherlands, say they are already facilitating shipments of the drugs to women in far-flung corners of the U.S. And they're promising to step up the effort no matter where those women are or what state laws say. Listening back to a story like this, It seems like just for a minute, abortion rights supporters thought they had figured out a workaround. And in a way, they had. Before the Dobbs ruling even came down, the FDA made abortion pills accessible by mail. Over the next few months, the Biden administration made sure pharmacies could dispense the pills, too. A lot of people believed that abortion pills would be. Uh, a great stopgap measure. Slate's Christina Cotarucci has been following all this from the start. She's called the rise of abortion pills a revolution. It was definitely seen as one of the major substantive, tangible ways that people could prepare themselves for this uncertain and frightening future in which many people, millions of people, did not have access to this form of health care that they did just a week prior. The thing is, conservative activists were taking note of this revolution, too. And eventually, they figured out what they wanted to do about it. Abortion rights advocates are sounding the alarm over a Texas lawsuit. They say the lawsuit could restrict access to abortion pills across the country. Including states right now, a judge in Texas is considering a long-shot bid to ban the abortion pill, coast to coast. Some advocates for reproductive rights say this decision may be even more devastating than the overturning of Roe v. Wade. I mean, this is literally a a five-alarm fire if you care about women's reproductive freedoms. I called up Christina because I wanted to know, is this lawsuit a five-alarm fire? Nobody knows what kind of follow-on effects the potential banning of the abortion pill could have. 
certainly a single, you know, unelected public official having the power to revoke the FDA's approval of a medication does not bode well for healthcare in the United States. So today on the show, how worried should you really be about the future of the abortion pill? And if this medication goes away, what should you do? I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C., on Tuesday, May the 14th, my colleague Mark Joseph Stern and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice, all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it, and we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets. This lawsuit looking to ban medical abortion takes aim at a single drug, mifepristone. Even though mifepristone is just the first drug in a two-drug regimen used to end an unwanted pregnancy, it's the only medication that's been approved as an actual abortion pill. That's made it a target from the beginning. Next tonight, we focus on politics and the French drug RU486. When it first came out, mifepristone was better known as RU486. It was made available in France and Great Britain years before it could be marketed in the U.S., 
the French doctor who invented it, was blunt about why. What is difficult is that uh, apparently uh, in the United States, even in the very best places, people are, let's say, afraid. 30 years later, it is abortion rights advocates who are afraid. Because this new lawsuit is being argued in front of one of the most conservative judges in the country. The anti-abortion doctors behind the suit argue the FDA never should have approved mifepristone in the first place. So the people who filed the case, they're trying to argue that the FDA made a rash and reckless decision when it approved the abortion pill in 2000. Yeah, the, the argument is like that it was approved, but it was approved using this expedited process that was supposed to be used for serious or life-threatening illnesses. And they're like, well, pregnancy isn't an illness, so haha. Right. Um, and I mean, the lawsuit itself is just a blatantly political document. You know, they call an embryo a baby. They say the medication starves a baby to death in the mother's womb. They refuse to call it medication abortion. They call it chemical because they believe it's, you know, a chemical weapon and this is chemical warfare on fetuses. Um, And so they're saying, you know, the FDA put women and girls at risk by approving this medication and by slowly making it more accessible over the years since the year 2000, um, which the FDA did because millions of people took the pill and it it was clear that it was even safer than the FDA had originally, you know, very conservatively said it was. Um, They're saying by doing all that, the FDA has put people's lives at risk. Which is kind of interesting because so originally the drug was approved like up until seven weeks of pregnancy and then in the United States until 10 weeks. But other places it's approved up to 12 weeks. So it's clear that like the U.S. is in the safety zone here. Oh, yeah. And at every step of this process, including before the abortion pill was approved in 2000, the anti-abortion community has had incredible influence on how this pill came to market, how it was distributed. You know, if you look at any facet of the abortion pills um, regulations, how people get it, who distributes it, it's all been colored and informed by the intense anti-abortion backlash to it. Hmm. Something that I think is really interesting about this lawsuit is that it seeks to do a couple of things at once. Like it wants to limit access to medication abortion, sure. But it also is undermining a federal agency, the FDA. And both of these are important parts of the conservative project. And I just thought, huh, it's kind of interesting they're lashed together here. Yeah, I imagine that the people who filed this lawsuit and also the judge that they filed it to are are extremely pleased that they found this way to, uh, you know, kill two birds with one stone, so to speak. I wonder if you and I can take the argument conservatives are making in this case seriously. The argument here is that in 2000, the FDA rushed mifepristone, which is commonly known as the abortion pill, onto market. Did the FDA rush it to market? Absolutely not. In fact, the opposite happened. The drug was approved in France in the 80s. It was approved in Britain and Sweden in the 90s. By the time it came to the U.S., hundreds of thousands of people had taken the drug. Um, You know, dozens of clinical trials had been performed on tens of thousands of people it was already widely accepted in many countries around the world as safe and effective. 
It's interesting because I, when I looked into the history a little bit, it sounds like the doctor who developed Mifepristone originally was like, oh, well, maybe I could sell it as birth control, like a, a pill you would take once a month to kind of bring on your period and you wouldn't get pregnant. Right. And the cultural conversation around the abortion pill at the time is so interesting to me because it really, people talked about it as, you know, as important as birth control because of the way it would put women's reproductive lives back in their own hands. And this was seen as good by abortion rights activists and bad by anti-abortion activists. But they talked about how, you know, if if women could see what an abortion was and they would take the medication at home and see that it wasn't like the scary pictures that people were holding on the on posters outside the abortion clinic while they were protesting. It was, you know, something that looked like a very heavy period that people wouldn't think abortion was as big of a deal anymore. That must have terrified anti-abortion activists. Oh, yeah. They talked a lot about the fact that this is going to, you know, make abortion seem banal. They really believed, rightly, that this would be an unprecedented step in increasing people's reproductive freedom. Um, and the FDA, they put extraordinary regulations on this pill. Um, they they very much slow rolled it. You could only get it from a physician that was specially certified to produce it. That prescribing clinician had to be there when you got it. You had to come back to get the next medication. And then you had to come back a third time to have a follow-up to make sure that you weren't still pregnant. I mean, it's it's more highly regulated than any other drug with this safety profile um, because they knew that they were being watched and they knew they were so aware of it that the FDA didn't even reveal the names of the officials who were involved in approving it, which is kind of rare for them because they knew those people could be subject to threats, violence. Yeah. You know, one of the things I was thinking about as you were talking about the history of the abortion bill in this country was this idea that somehow making a pill available would mean many more abortions would cheapen the value of human life, that the sort of typical conservative argument. And I was thinking about that because my understanding is that abortions actually have been going down in this country. It's just that the proportion of medical abortions, pill abortions have been going up. So it's clear that the pill has made abortion more convenient, but it hasn't made it more common. Is that right? That's exactly right. And the other thing it's done is changed the makeup of when people get their abortions such that more people are getting them earlier in pregnancy and they're able to, it's cheaper so they can raise money more quickly. Um, and that's actually bad for anti-abortion activists who, again, want to make abortion seem like the biggest moral outrage, um, such a production, a scary procedure, and something that we should um, be worried that that people are doing rather than something that's safe, um, doable in your own home, and something that happens very, very early in pregnancy, um, usually. And so it's very threatening to anti-abortion activists, although they claim to be worried that the, the abortion pill would increase the number of abortions. 
I think they actually may have been disappointed that for for other reasons, abortions have decreased in the United States, but also that uh, the abortion pill has made it easier for people to terminate pregnancies earlier. A decision in this lawsuit could come as early as this month. When we come back, the surprising reason why banning this abortion pill might not ban medical abortions at all. If I asked you the likelihood that abortion medication would be available in this country, like next month or over the summer, what kind of odds would you give it? A hundred percent. Because the second abortion pill, which is slightly less effective, but still extraordinarily effective when you look at it as a whole, it's a drug that is used for so many other things. It wouldn't be affected by this lawsuit. And I think because it's not, quote unquote, the abortion pill, it would be much, much more difficult to get activists or a judge to remove it from the U.S. marketplace. If you want to understand what is happening in the United States right now, you really need to understand what's happening with the courts, the law and the Supreme Court. The battle between democracy and whatever this cage match is that we're witnessing, it's going to be won and lost at the ballot box, but it's also going to be won and lost in the courtrooms. I'm Dahlia Lithwick. I host Slate's legal podcast, Amicus, and we are doubling our output, bringing you weekly episodes from here on in, because how else can we keep an eye on the many trials of Donald Trump, the conservative legal movement's assaults on our rights, the Supreme Court's latest slate of environmental gutting, gun safety, eviscerating cases on the docket. So follow Amicus wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes dropping every Saturday morning. When Christina Cotarucci told me this lawsuit was not going to actually ban medical abortions, I asked her to hold up a minute and explain why. How did this second drug it's called misoprostol, become an abortion pill without the abortion pill label. Yeah, it's interesting. This was happening sort of right at the same time as mifepristone was being developed and tested in France, uh, which is to say the early 80s. Um, misoprostol was sold over the counter in Brazil as a you know treatment and prevention for gastric ulcers. And there's a warning label on the box that said, you know, don't take if you're pregnant, this can induce an abortion. And so women began using it for that purpose because abortion was banned in Brazil. And it was uh, almost like a grassroots development of this pill's abortifacient capacity. Um, pharmacists then started recommending it to women who would come in, you know, wondering how to terminate a pregnancy. Um, and then people studied it, obviously, after it became clear that a lot of people were having abortions using misoprostol. So uh, this other drug actually can be used on its own, but its abortifacient capacity was discovered almost by accident. Misoprostol is also more protected from legal action. First, because in the eyes of the FDA, it's a medicine for stomach ulcers, not abortions. Second, the pill is used for a lot of other off-label treatments as well. Misoprostol is used uh, not only for ulcers, which is what it's FDA approved for, but every 
obstetrician in the country uses it off-label to soften people's cervixes before a gynecological exam, um, uh, induce labor, stop hemorrhaging after labor. And it's used all over the world for these purposes in addition to its use as an ulcer medication. And so if you wanted to ban misoprostol, you're affecting millions and millions of people for reasons other than abortion, there would be, it would be a lot harder to take aim at this drug that's essential for so many other purposes. Um, and so this is where anti-abortion activists are going to run into a, another hurdle if they want to actually stop people from accessing medication abortion. Because of this issue where there are two drugs and one of the drugs seems much harder to ban than the other, you wanted to take a look at what might actually happen if this judge in Texas grants the request of these anti-abortion doctors and finds a way to issue a nationwide injunction on abortion medication. So I'm wondering what you learned. Like, what did doctors tell you when you called them up and said, hey, this decision is looming. What are you going to do? They said we were taken aback and shocked when Texas banned abortions in 2021. We were, in some cases, uh, paralyzed by shock when the Dobbs decision came down and states some states banned abortion much quicker than expected. And they said, we're not going to be caught flat-footed this time. So they said, we are already prepared to change our protocols to a misoprostol only medication abortion regimen. And many of them said, we're doing that anyway, because some people for, you know, physical reasons have a contraindication to mifepristone, they can't take it, or they want something cheaper. And so they've been requesting misoprostol only abortions anyway. What does a misoprostol only abortion look like? Does it look different than the regimen that's FDA approved right now? Yeah. So the, the current a uh, gold standard medication abortion is swallowing one pill of mifepristone and then a day or two later taking four tablets of misoprostol and letting them dissolve in your mouth. A misoprostol-only abortion requires three doses of four tablets of misoprostol taken three hours apart. So it's a lot more of that drug, um, but that drug is also extremely cheap, so it actually doesn't affect the the price for the consumer very much. Um, but it can affect the patient experience in other ways. Yeah. You talked about how you you may feel it more, the abortion. And so it kind of makes it difficult. Like, do you want to put that next pill in your mouth? And that might be a challenge for some women and doctors. Yeah. it's uh, Doctors were sort of hesitant to say that it would be more painful or arduous um, because, you know, every body reacts differently to every drug. But they did say that because you have to take multiple doses of this medication that causes, you know, uterine contractions. That's how it works. It feels counterintuitive when you're in the midst of some physical discomfort, which, which can range from, you know, mild cramping, like with a heavy period to for, for some few people, you know, vomiting, diarrhea, chills. To then say, okay, it's three hours later, now it's time for my next dose of this thing that is making me feel sick. I mean, it's one of the reasons why, although medication abortion will still be available once mifepristone is banned, if it's banned, 
this isn't a good outcome by any means. It's it's cruel on behalf of the judge and the people who filed this lawsuit to force people into repeating an unpleasant physical experience, uh, because for some segment of people, it won't work the first time, um, or consigning them to saying, well, I can't afford to, or I don't feel ready to try that again. So I guess I'm going to continue with this unwanted pregnancy. That's exactly the outcome that they're hoping for. And I think it's it's a tragedy that this this incredibly safe and effective medication um, for no medical reason will likely become unavailable for people. Yeah, it strikes me that the project of this lawsuit is similar to previous anti-abortion lawsuits in that it seeks to kind of narrow the passageway that women can get through in order to get an abortion because it makes the procedure less comfortable. And so it's like you're just putting speed bumps and barriers in front of women. And, you know, in the end, (laughs) it's the woman who's going to have to deal with those speed bumps and barriers. Right. It's very similar to laws that conservative legislators put in place before the Dobbs decision requiring people to take an extra trip to the abortion clinic to have a consultation, to have an ultrasound, even if it wasn't medically necessary before having an abortion. I know that some people have recommended women stock up on abortion pills while they're available. Do you think that's necessary or kind of like an overreach? I will never say it's a bad idea to have a stock of abortion medication on hand just because uh you never know what's going to happen. It wasn't on my, you know, 2023 bingo cards, so to speak, that Mifepristone would be banned because I didn't expect that judges were going to be able to revoke the FDA approval for a safe medication. Um, And so conservatives in the U.S. continue to surprise me. Hmm. However, you know, misoprostol is prescribed for so many other different purposes. It's available over the counter in Mexico, which is actually how a lot of people in Texas are now um, obtaining medication abortion. Uh, it's again, you know, easy to get mailed to you from overseas, even more so than mifepristone. So I, I don't think, and and you know, knocking on wood here, that misoprostol will become unavailable at any point in the near future. If you want to stock up on mifepristone, that's fine. But again, you know, this other method is is also highly effective but you know like i said i i'll never i'll never underestimate the anti-abortion movement in the u.s again christina Cotarucci, i'm super grateful for your time and your reporting thanks for coming on the show yeah thanks for having me on Christina Cotarucci is a senior writer for Slate. And that's our show. If you're a fan of what we're doing here at What Next, the best way to support us is to join Slate Plus. That's our membership program. Go on over to slate.com slash whatnextplus to find out how. What Next is produced by Elena Schwartz, Paige Osborne, Anna Phillips, and Madeline Ducharme. We are getting a ton of support right now from Jared Downing and Laura Spencer. We are led by Alicia Montgomery with a little help from Susan Matthews. Ben Richmond is the Senior Director of Podcast Operations here at Slate. And I'm Mary Harris. You can go track me down on Twitter. I'm at Mary's desk. I'm handing the reins over to Lizzie O'Leary and the What Next TBD crew for now. I'll be back in this feed on Monday. Catch you then.
Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.